You are listening to the Grow Law Firm Podcast, where each guest shares actionable, practical ideas with you on how to get more clients, expand your reach, and grow your law firm's revenue and profit. Here's your host, Sasha Burson. Welcome to the Grow Law Firm Podcast. I am your host, Sasha Burson. And today, for the second time, I have my amazing guest, Ryan Kimmler of Nonprofit CFO. Ryan, for the second time, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thanks. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Really excited for our conversation today, and I'm looking forward to it. Yep. It's going to be a very special conversation. Ryan is a fractional CFO who works with many, many, many law firm owners. Our first episode, which was the very first episode of this podcast, was focused on the success metrics for operating a law firm. At the end of that episode, Ryan and I spoke about getting together again and talking about a very important subject, which I think most law firm owners know very little to nothing about, and that is, what does it take to build a sellable law firm, and how would a potential buyer of your law firm would look at it? Ryan, as I mentioned, is a CFO. He knows infinitely more about the subject than most of us business operators do. So the floor is yours. Share the insights. Sure, sure. So, you know, when when I think about selling a firm, there's a lot of things that go into this. You know, a lot of things that could impact this. And the obvious one is is not just the historical financials and the projected financials, right? And on where the company's going but also just economic factors, right? What kind of an economy are we in, right? That has dramatically changed. The economy has dramatically changed over the last you know, year, right? I mean, inflation, employment, market, interest rates, right? I mean, all of those things really affect the price of a law firm, right? That, that I think is really easy to start off with, right? That the price of you, if you're looking to sell your firm today, the price of it today is not going to be the same as it was before we hit all this inflation and interest rates and all that, right? Or worse? <sighs> Probably worse. I, I would say worse, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, typically when we when we have economic kind of downturns, I'll use that quote loosely because I'm not going to say that I'm an expert economist because I'm not. But, you know, right now when we're kind of in an economic downturn. That's typically when the opportunity to buy is really, really great, right? And, you know, I think if you're a firm out there and you're sitting on a lot of cash, maybe you've had a healthy business, maybe you, you know, listened to our first episode and really, you know, took note and and really ramped up your firm's profits, you know, this last year, and you're sitting on some cash, the opportunity to buy coming up here in this next year, I think is, is the has the potential to be really, really good. I'm so glad that you brought up this point. And, and I wonder, maybe we should have started at this. Why do people buy law firms? Yep. There's a couple of big reasons that I really see. Number I one see is problem. they see it as a fast way to scale their practice, right? Especially if they feel really confident in their back office operations, right? That That they know that they're buying a book of business and they really have the operations down pat, that it's going to be efficient and they can take on that additional volume and really scale their practice quickly and also kind of turn the practice. Maybe the practice didn't have strong net profits, but the owner, the, the new owner believes 
that they can take the systems that they're already using in the same industry and really implement quickly so that they have a great net income and return on their investment. I, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons, right? Is really scale quickly. Let's just use a hypothetical scenario that I own a law firm that does $2 million in gross revenue and we're operating very well. So at the end of the year, there's a 25% free desk profit. So $500,000. I want to grow this law firm and get a lot bigger. My avenues for growing it, one, organic. I have well-performing marketing and I'm probably increasing through that marketing 25, 30, 35, 40, maybe 50% a year. Right, It's a considerable investment, but it keeps on paying off. I also have business development in place, so I'm getting more referrals from other service providers, other attorneys who do not do what I do. Things are going really well. Now I really want to start scaling up because I'm an ambitious person. I'm in my mid-40s. My retirement is still very far away, and I want to build this generational wealth. But I see that doing this organically through all of my efforts is paying off, but a little bit too slowly for me. So I go and I look at other law firms that they can acquire, and I run across your law firm, right? And you also do a couple million dollars. I'm looking at this end. You're efficient. You're also making 20% net profit at the year's end. I'm like, if I buy you and I add your revenue because you have a marketing system in place and you're generating cases, whether you're there at the firm or not, if I add you, I'm going to double in revenue at the point of acquisition. I do not need double the staff, so I'm going to cut my costs. And by cutting my cost, I'm going to go from making $400,000 in one law firm and $400,000 in another law firm. I might be able to cut like 5% of my costs. So instead of $800,000, I'm going to make a million. And by the way, I can finance 90% of that acquisition through an SBA 7A loan, which 10% down payment or $200,000, and I'm in. I wanted to just present a picture of how these things can work because through having conversations with thousands of lawyers over the years, most of them don't give this a lot of thought. They don't think about why I might have to one sell one day, health issue, family issue. I'm just sick and tired of being a lawyer, whatever it may be. And most of them also don't think about acquisition, but you should, because this is a really fast way to significantly increase your profit. And even, even to add on to that, right, is probably a better investment than the stock market most of the time. Right. I mean, if, if you've got those profits sitting there and you're like, you know, I've got this, a bunch of cash sitting in a bank account that isn't making me anything, Right. Where am I going to invest it that I really feel comfortable with, really feel safe in, really have confidence in? Given what the market has done over the last couple of years, it's probably not the market, right? And so it is a fantastic investment vehicle when you can find the right opportunity and really, as I said, you know, implement systems and make sure that that business, that new law firm that you just purchased and acquired continues to produce a return. Mm-hmm. fantastic you know investment vehicle fantastic place to put money and you as a firm owner you know you're not getting into murky waters you already know about the topic right you're already an expert at running a firm 
And, you know, to kind of add on to that and, and, you know, take it a step further is, you know, maybe it also further diversifies your current firm. Maybe the firm that you're buying is in a similar practice area to the one that you already have, right? Maybe, maybe you have attorneys on staff that have worked somewhere else in the past, you know, that have industry experience in other practice areas. And so you go out and the firm that you buy specialized in a different practice area. It really diversifies your firm and opens the door for a new clientele base that you probably weren't weren't having access before and possibly you're even cross-selling some of these clients. Absolutely. By the way, I think like you pointed out something that's so valuable. You said that this can, you can use the capital that you may already have and this will be a much better investment than stock market or anything else. Let, let's just quantify it. So thinking about that example, you had $2 million in revenue. I had $2 million in revenue. I bought you out. Now it's a $4 million company. I bought your firm or let's say, and we're going to talk about valuations, but let's say that I bought it at four times the EBITDA, right? Which is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Your EBITDA was $400,000 as we have established. So your firm cost me $1.6 million. I paid $1.6 million, but I only had to shell out 10% of that. With some advisory and everything else, I'm going to say 10% of 1.6 million would have been 160,000. So I might've spent another $40,000 on like other services to go through the acquisition, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. All in, I had to shell out of my pocket $200,000. What did I get for $200,000? Well, I got additional $600,000 in revenue or profit, pardon me, for profit. I got additional $2 million in revenue and $600,000 in profit, which is spectacular on its own. But I did finance 90% of $1.6 million acquisition, which gives us a loan of $1.4 million. And let's say that the interest rate on that SBA loan is 7%, $1.4 million times 7%, it would take $100,000 in interest. So what I got was $500,000 in profit for an investment of $200,000 initially. Holy shit. So every year, <laughs> I am two and a half times of what I have invested. It's a piece of 100, which is kind of a staple for the market, right? Over the last 90 years has produced, including reinvestment of dividends, 9.5%. Here, I'm getting 250%. Yep. Roughly 30 times more than S&P 500. Not too shabby. All of that for about 200 grand. Yep. Yep. And that is, again, you know, that f the first episode that you and I talked, that is really the power of having a business that has strong profits, strong cash flows. It gives you opportunities, right, for the future, right? Super, super crazy return. Can you talk more about that? Let's say that you were working with, and I'm sure you do, with some law firm owners who are thinking that sometime in the future, they will sell their law firm. Yep. How do you help them prepare? What do they need to have in place in order to make this sale a very profitable endeavor for them? Sure. 
So a few things. Number one, I mean, obviously you want it to be profitable. You want it to have a strong cash flow. But one of the next things that I typically talk about is client base. What does your client base look like? Do you have a client that really, really, really has an appreciation for the name and the reputation of the business, right? You know, if you're in a practice area where they could be repeat customers, are they repeat customers? Are they sending you referrals? right? The client base that you're going to pass on to the next firm owner has tremendous value and and is really, really super important, right? And the firm reputation really kind of goes hand in hand with the client base. One of the places though that I've seen some law firms run into trouble is when they change ownership, you know, especially if they have their last name on the door, right? Which a lot of law firms really do. Which is not a good idea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> is how, how does the client base feel if oh, yeah. the main I'm guy sorry. with his name on the door isn't there, right? And so, and that's, that usually ends up playing into part of the sale too in the terms of the sale is how long of a transition period is really going to be necessary for that client base that you've built up and that reputation that you've built up to really pass this firm off so that it gives value to the next owner. Because if it's just a flat, pay me my money, you can here's my book of business and I'm gone, the value in that is far, far less than an attorney that's willing to transition out and help the next owner really take it on, right? And really make that transition and make it a smooth transition. Well, just for interjecting for a second, but this makes sense for non-transactional law firms. Specifically, like if I, if I own a law firm that specializes in corporate law, I work with small and mid-sized companies, that's non-transactional. But if I do estate planning, criminal defense, yep. hopefully I do not, well, for me, it would be great if I had career criminals for my clients, but chances are, it's a one and done. Estate and probate, one and done. Immigration, one and done. Most of those practice areas are one and done. So let's talk about the majority of small law firms. Like how do they build that value so that they look very lucrative to a potential acquirer? Sure, absolutely. And really, it's even for your past customers, right? It's how do they talk about your firm? How do they talk about the experience? Are they still following you and keeping in contact with you, right? Even if you are having your estate planning done at a law firm, right? There are still probably edits that need to happen, right? There's still probably, you know, are, again, are they referring you? Are, are they bringing their kids in and getting their kids involved, right? If they're parents, right? Mm. Do they really trust you as the firm owner? to have the best interest in mind, not only for them as your client, but also anyone that they could potentially send you as a referral, right? Because there are, you know, as you said, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, transactions out there that are one and done, right? And so really the importance of the book of business at that point is, you know, how loyal are they? And, you know, what is their network worth to the firm, right? through the source of referrals, basically, right? Well, help me understand this. What's the rapport and the customer base 
or having a predictable marketing and sales engine that continues to produce a new revenue. In my opinion, it, well, you know, let me take it back. You answer the question, then I'll share what I think about it. Yeah. So to me, I would say marketing and sales engine, right? Especially for those one and done firms, you know, obviously you've got to have new blood, you've got to have new sales. And at the same time, that client base and the reviews that they've given the firm, the referrals that are going to come to the firm, that can't be overlooked, right? But to answer your question, I mean, I would definitely say, you know, the marketing and sales engine, right? Yeah. I have so many of these conversations without talking about like how to prepare the business for sale. Just today, I met with two attorneys, different law firms, different times, and both of them had very similar scenario. One firm, 60% of their new business is coming from referrals. Most of those referrals are from other attorneys. Yep. Two lawyers cooperate the law firm over the years, have gone out, shook enough hands, drank enough coffee, hung out with a lot of other lawyers in their geographical market to build this network that is sending them criminal defense cases. Yep. The- 40% was coming through their marketing engine. Yep. All because they wanted to expand the marketing engine because they're like, for us to continue maintaining this referral network, we have to do a lot of handshaking and a lot of coffee drinking. And they're like, we would much rather rely on a predictable marketing engine. And the second yep. law firm was about the same. It, their split was like 50, 50, 50% referrals. And I always ask them, when you look at your referrals, what's the split between professional referrals coming from other attorneys and for some practice areas it could be from like financial planners right yeah like estate plans come from financial plan et cetera et cetera yep most of the time they do not know the split right they can like guess to me that it's like oh it's 20 percent from past clients 80 percent from professionals 50 percent from best clients 50 percent for from professionals i feel that both are incredibly important but for me as a buyer once you transition out as a seller that referral network that you built, like, first of all, my expectation would be that after we shake hands and sign the contract, me acquiring your business, I would expect you to stay on for at least six to 12 months. Yeah. I want this transition to be as smooth as possible. And that would allow me to do that. I would expect that part of your customer base, if it is not transactional law firm, is going to disappear. And that's normal. It could be 20, 25% that will disappear. I would expect that some of the referral, some of people in my referral network are going to disappear as well. I know that some of that revenue is going to fall off. That's why for me, having a very predictable marketing and sales engine is super important. And for me, it's very important that you stay on board for six to 12 months because I want to go with you to meet with people who you've met with before, shook hands with, drank coffee with, and they've been selling, sending you referrals. I want you to introduce me to all of them and make sure that I build those network. I build that network in your stead because a year from now, you ain't going to be here. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of gets to another part of the sale, right? Which is the terms. You know, most people out there probably think of terms and they're just thinking, well, how are we going to value the company and what's the payments going to look like and how much of it is finance versus how much of it is actual cash. But another part of the terms of the sale is how long is the previous owner expected to stick around and really make that transition? 
And that is really a critical piece for all of the reasons that you just mentioned, right? Of having that, you know, owner's help and, and making that transition could be a big, big part of the terms of sale, right? And, you know, another kind of piece that I also would address too is that maybe a lot of your audience doesn't realize is that there's a lot of firms that sell and it's really an employee sale, right? Maybe you've got, you know, a little bit larger firm and maybe you've got two or three attorneys that want to buy the senior partner out, right? And so then at that point, you know, maybe the name on the door doesn't change and just ownership and who's running the firm on the inside does, right? If that happens, and the the other thing that happens sometimes too is sometimes kind of as a retirement vehicle, I've seen some owners, you know, kind of make an employee sale and they still keep a small percentage of ownership, Mm -hmm. right? So then they still have a vested interest, right? But like in an employee sale, right? You've got to lay out the terms, you know, maybe, maybe the business profits is going to fund the employee sale for the employees, right? That could be a portion of kind of the terms of sale as well, right? Is, you know, can we pay the business owner that we bought out back using the business over the next few years so that we're not financing any money, not paying any interest? And what does that look like? Obviously, you know, you still put a loan on the books, right? I mean, it's a loan from the previous owner, but what does that look like? And and maybe, maybe the previous owner does want interest payments included in that. You know, that's again, part of the terms of sale. That's really, really important to work out, not just how long the seller is going to stay around and not just the, but you know, what are the terms of the deal? There's a, there's a lot that goes into that. That's an interesting point. And that is when you are buying another business, another law firm, you should consider that most of those buyouts are leveraged buyouts. You're leveraging the loan that you're probably going to get through SBA, 7A type loan, 90% financing. The profit that you're going to get from operating the law firm is going to be used to make your payments. Yep. You do not have to shell out those payments in the pocket. Obviously, there is a big caveat that must be disclosed. When you are acquiring a business, especially if you're doing it for the first, second, or third time, get an expert who has helped other buyers acquire similar businesses to help you perform due diligence. So when I, when I mentioned that in addition to the down payment, you're going to spend easily $30,000, $40,000 in acquisition, you will be spending it on people like that who are going to make sure that you are making the right financial decision. Yep. There are mistakes that can be made in acquisition, for sure. So you have wanted, you've got to have the right experts. Even if you've done this five, 10 times, which I assume 99.99% of the whole lawyers will never acquire five businesses in their lifetime. Chances are they will never acquire one lower percentage, right? Probably not 99.99. Some of them will acquire another business. May it be a law firm, any other other type of business, but vast majority will not. So you've got to make sure that you have the right experts and they will much more than pay for themselves. Yep. Like it's it's a good investment. Yep. And while you're mentioning that, I mean, tax considerations, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I I hate taxes. I'm not a big fan of taxes, but, uh, but tax considerations are really important to take in. Right. And one of those, you know, professionals has really 
should be a tax expert, right? And that could be a CPA, right? Could be an EA. But the important thing is, is that they really... Yeah, so an EA is an enrolled agent. What is that? An enrolled agent is a certification that's basically given out and regulated by the IRS. What what are they calling for such a term? So tell me more. Sure. So EAs, I mean, really, you know, if you have your EA designation and if you're an enrolled agent, it really means that you understand and know the U.S. IRS tax code, right? Your expertise, it's basically a certification in U.S. taxes, right? So CPAs, EAs, I mean, they, you know, if the CPA really specializes in taxation, right? They really know taxes and they're really an expert at it. And having someone, again, having someone like that as an expert in your corner can kind of help you navigate what the tax implications are of selling the business and is really important if you're on the sales side of the transaction. Same. By the way, today, so we're recording this in January of 2023. If I was to sell a business that I've been building for the last 10 years, what's the tax rate? I don't know. I am not I am not a tax expert by any means. Yeah, well, not a tax expert. I'm just <laughs> wondering because this is like a long-term asset that you've built, so it should be like yeah. a capital gain tax. Or what's what's the capital yeah, that, tax in the business? That, yeah, that would be that would be really, really tough. Yeah, the the hard thing is I think you would have a tough time having this not hit your personal income. Even so, though it's even though it's a business and even though it's an asset, right? I mean, and and it, and entity structure also will come into play there too, right? So if I'm selling the C corp, arguably, the the tax bracket that I would hit should be lower than if I was selling S corp. Yeah, and C corps are their own taxable entity. Mm-hmm. So, you know that. That's that throws a wrench into things too, right? And and really, I mean, you know, we start talking taxes, talking taxes, and that's where the waters get murky for me. That I am not, I am not an expert by any means. And you know, partnerships could be interesting too, right? As far as what is your, what is your tax consideration if you're selling or buying a piece of a partnership, right? And you're becoming a partner and buying out another partner. I'm really not sure how that works, but again, like having that tax expert in your corner and really reviewing that, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact because I don't know taxes, but I'm guessing rather than costing you probably is going to end up saving you thousands of dollars if you do it in the right way. Sure. By the way, when we talk about doing things in the right way, if you're getting ready, if you're thinking about selling your law firm at some point in the future, you have to remember that really to prepare for a sale, really to prepare for a sale, ideally, you're building the law firm to sell. There's a great book by John Warrillo called Built to Sell. Highly recommend that you read. It has nothing to do with law firms, but it has to do with like the process of building a business. So it's sellable. You don't have to sell it. But if you build a business that is easily sellable, you're in better shoes, or in a better, better position, right? Anything happens, it's ready to sell. But also, like hypothetically, from from sales standpoint, I just think from taxation standpoint, if you decide that 
you have an S corp right now or LLC, whatever it is, and you're thinking about selling it three, four, five years ago, not a tax advisor. So take it for what it is. This is just guy thinking out loud, right? I think that if you convert your company, be it an S corp or LLC into C corp, in three years, you would be selling it as you would sell any other stock. So if you bought like GM stock, for example, right, and you decide to sell it five years from now, if you have made a capital gain on that sale, you're going to be taxed at a capital gain tax rate, which is significantly lower than the personal income, right? At least as of like 2022, I think the last time I looked at it, like capital gain tax, long-term capital gain tax was like 15 or 20%. Yeah. Whereas if you sell a business for 1.6 mil and you started from zero by investing a couple thousand dollars, at entire 1.6 mil, well, after $400,000 or so, you will be charged at like the highest tax bracket, which I think today is like 39.6%. It's yeah. expensive. That's our expensive. Yep. And that's also why sometimes a, like an employee buyout that's, you know, that they're paying for the purchasing the business over the next several years can also have tax implications because you're, you're not getting the full price of the business hitting your personal income each year, right? Because they're they're buying it out and they're paying for it over a period of time. Got it. So here are some of the fundamentals that we have already discussed. Number one, to make your law firm lucrative for a buyer if you're selling or to buy a lucrative law firm if you're buying, that law firm is supposed to have a referral network in place, be it your current customer base or professional referral network, but that should be in place. And you should have a marketing and sales engine in place that's predictably delivering X number of cases per month, per quarter, per year. In addition to that, you should be talking to the right professionals three years at least before you're thinking about selling a CFO a tax advisor, what that sale may look like and what you need to get into place to make your business very lucrative for a buyer. And if you are thinking about becoming a buyer, you should probably talk to the same people just for me, where you're standing and say like, what should I buy? What should I look out for? What are the implications of this acquisition? How do I make sure that the transition, this question probably for a business broker, like how do I make sure that the transition goes very smoothly from operational standpoint? Not taxes, not financial, but operational standpoint. But when I buy this thing a year from that point, I'll look back and I say, and did they make a great decision? Yep. Fully agree. Fully agree. And that's a great summary, right? And I think, you know, maybe the last piece, you know, that we should talk about is finding the right buyer, right? If for the for the audience that's listening that's that is on the selling side of the equation, you know, there's a few things that I think is important for them to have in order. Number one is obviously the finances right? Can they really afford it given the valuation that you guys come to and agree to? And then number two is, you know, as we've kind of talked about, there's probably going to be a transition period. So something that kind of gets looked past a lot of times is, is there really a personality fit? Can you really work with this buyer over the course of the next year? And, you know, do you really trust their personality and like them as a person because if you like them as a person, your clients found you because they liked you as a person, right? And so, and same way with your referral network, right? They found you and connected with you and worked with you because they liked you as a person, right? And so you don't want, 
you don't want to work with a buyer that's an absolute jerk, right? That you don't get along with, right? Because that's not going to be a successful for either side. You're going to have to work with a jerk and they're not going to get the business that they want to get because their personality doesn't fit with yours and that probably doesn't fit with your client base and your referral network, right? And I think that finding a good buyer is a process that you really need to invest some time into. And the other, you know, third thing that finding the right buyer that's really, really important is the buyer's timeline, right? Is are they really ready to transition in and and buy when you're ready to sell, right? And so depending on what they already have going on at their firm, right? Maybe they are not ready to buy. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they just hired a bunch of staff to take care of the new volume that their marketing and sales engine produced, and they've got to train that new staff and really get them up and running. They're probably not ready to buy, right? Even though they might want to, they might have the finances, they might fit personally. They've got to have the right timeline and be ready to buy when you're ready to sell so that it makes sense for both sides. But I think from, from, the, from the selling side of things, I think finding the right buyer, you know, might be the most important part of the process just to make sure that it really is a smooth transition. And, and that's a place where you've really got, I think you really have got to have some patience, right? And, and really think carefully before you just take the first buyer that comes along. Well, here's how I look at it. I've built, sold, and bought businesses. And anytime that you're entering into a partnership, and I've had a couple now. It's almost like getting married. Yeah. It's like you're going to spend more time with your partner than you will with your spouse. Yep. There will be more issues that you will deal with in the business than you will at home. The severity is questionable, but there will be way more issues in the business because there are a lot of moving parts. Yep. That's incredibly important. If you're buying into an existing law firm, which you can, you might be buying an, an a percentage of the firm. Yeah. Right? It's really important to build a relationship with your future partner before you buy into it. Other aspect of it, even if you're buying out that person, you have to remember that chances are you're going to be working side by side with that person for six to 12 months. Six to 12 months is still a long relationship. Yeah. You got to make sure that you build relationship with that person or you buy. It's incredibly important. I can tell you that I bought equity in the parent company of Grow Law Firm. One of the factors, deciding factor, was I got to know co-founders of the company years before I bought into it. I yeah. knew that these were good people. I got a chance to go and hang out with their team here at the office in Chicago. This was five, six years ago that I got to know the employees. I got the vibe of the place. I got how it operates. I saw that people were good. Yeah. If people were not good, as the saying goes, you cannot do good business with a bad person. Or if we just wouldn't have led, would have been never bought into this company for a very simple reason. I have enough stress in my life. I don't care to add any more to it. So I think this is not measurable, but you absolutely must be really tuned in and aligned with that person. Make sure that the values are similar, even if it's going to be six months to a year. 
you just do not need a frustrating relationship there. So super, I'm so glad that you brought up this point. It's just so important. And one last thing I would add in that, that something that you just mentioned that thought me up, that made me trigger, triggered my memory or, you know, made me think of it is, you know, having that relationship with that person that you get along with, because they're also probably going to get along well with the team that you already have in place, right? And the employees that are already at the practice, right? When you're running your business, employees that you don't get along with very well, even if they're rock stars, still don't make it very long, right? Mm-hmm. They still they still don't last very long, you know, for mm-hmm. the really for the morale of the business and for the environment of the business. And so having a buyer that has, you know, kind of like you mentioned, that's a good person that you really get along with also ensures that they're going to get along with your team that you already have in place. And I think as a seller, you know, that's probably one of the big concerns is, is my team going to be taken care of? Because they are people that you've built relationships with and taken care of and worked with for, for probably many years. And you know that they have families, they have people that they're working for and providing for, and you want them to be taken care of. So I think that that's another important piece that makes the buyer so, so critical. And, and really, like you said, making sure that the relationships work all the way around. So, so true. We have been considering an acquisition. Yep. And one of the things that we found through interviewing certain sellers who are in the same space as we are, we're just looking to grow faster through acquisition to add to our already substantial growth. We found that a lot of sellers are just in a rush to sell. They have already decided they work with the broker, they prepared the business for sale, and they just want it to be like quick. Yeah. And I'm like, if you want it quick, I will not get a chance to really know you. I will not get a chance to get to know your team. I don't want it. This is not like, a, it's not even like buying a car or a house. Yeah. This is so much bigger. I do not want to overwhelm the listeners, viewers, but it is a big step and you're going to have to live with that decision for many years. Yeah. So taking yep. your time for the seller to make sure that whoever buys your law firm or buys a part of your law firm is a good person, someone who you'd want to work with, or if you're completely selling out, you'd want your team to continue working for. And same thing for the buyer, that you actually want to work with that team is incredibly important. Take your time. If the seller or buyer is rushing you, yeah, just walk away. You yeah, I mean, want to find out what it is that they were hiding by trying to make a quick sale. Don't yeah. want it. Yeah, I think I think a rush transaction is really the fast track to a poor transition, right? And mm-hmm. and poor results. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I mean, kind of to. I know we're we're running out of time here as as we're recording this, and kind of to conclude here, you know, just for your audience, right? I mean, this is this is really a activity. This is really a you know endeavor that isn't easy right? It's, it's not a magic wand. It's not a process to be taken lightly and it's not a process to just rush through either, right? I mean, selling or buying a practice really takes time, really takes effort and due diligence. And it's, it's really a time investment. I think that that's, that's the important thing that I think your audience should know is that it's selling a practice is not easy. 
The practice is not easy. Buying a practice is not easy, but if it's done right, within a reasonably short period of time, two, three years, you look back and you say, this was a great decision. Completely agree. I bought into the parent company of Grow Law Firm five years ago. January 3rd, 2018 was my day one at the firm. Yep. I've had three other businesses prior to that. Thank God and myself for having made that decision. Yes, out of those, now out of four businesses, this one is by far, by far my favorite. The people that I work with are by far my favorite. I hope nobody from my prior business is listening to me. And thank you. <laughs> the fact that I love it so much and I love our people so much and I love our clients so much, I owe that to the demeanor and the character of my business partner. Yep. He is a really nice person who other good people gravitate toward. Yes. The equal growth that we have achieved over these five years is to a large degree not because of our marketing and sales prowess, but because he is such a good person, he attracts other really good people, our redemption rate is through the roof. Yep. Like through the roof. Industry average from what we've seen, 50%. 50% of marketing clients will leave you 12 months after they sign a contract with you. Our retention rate, gross retention rate, 80%. Key accounts retention rate, 95%. Wow. Big people who know what they're doing. And to us, customer retention rate is one of the top key success factors. Absolutely. Hands down. So it is like that important to buy from the right person who has the right team. It is also, if you care about your legacy, it's that important to, the, to sell to the right person. And if you're buying fraction of the business, fraction of the law firm, it is even more important to make the right decision on either side of the equation or the, or the transaction. Right? So great insights. Ryan, always appreciate you enormously. If someone wants to connect with you and talk about managing their law firm by the numbers, which is exactly what you do, and help them improve their financial performance, how do they connect with you? Yeah, the best place to find me is netprofitcfo.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. It was great being here today. Thanks for listening to the Grow Law Firm podcast. If you liked the ideas shared in this episode, help a fellow lawyer out by sharing a link to the episode. This episode is powered by the team of experts in client attraction, growlawfirm.com. Do you want a complimentary growth plan for your law firm? Request it at growlawfirm.com slash blueprint.